fix that? No, Brian did, but he didn't show me how to fix it, so we're good. <laughs> I have one. No, I don't have to use it. Oh, sit over here then. <laughs> it's just fixed. I just make her a deaconess. Well, good to see you on the scene. I hope you had a good day. It's good to be together today. Go ahead and get your Bibles out and go back to Matthew, the fifth chapter, please. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in lesson number 11. We're going to jump right into it. We've got a lot to cover in about 35 and 40 minutes. So let's jump into it. It's been one of those weeks, at least in my judgment. And sometimes there are weeks like this, I observe, where the teachings of Jesus really get brought to light in the real world. And that is exactly how I felt Sunday night when I saw one of the biggest stars in Hollywood go right on the stage <laughs> and, 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 and slap uh, one of the most famous comedians in the world right now. I couldn't help but think about the teachings of Jesus. I'm sorry, I just couldn't. Uh, in a very little literal sense. Uh, for those of you who may not know, it is the slap that is heard across the world right now, and it was not staged. So let's get rid of those conspiracy theories. Um, it, 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 it really happened. You can tell by the reactions of the people. Uh, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy, so if you want one of those kind of guys, go look for somebody else. Uh, um, but, um, you know, I don't know what I would have done in that situation. If someone slaps me like that on national TV, uh, the, the old man might want to come out. You know, we might be fighting a little bit. But I got to give it to a man of the world. A, a man of the world. I thought he handled himself very well. And isn't that what Jesus kind of talked about? He said, turn the other cheek. I mean, that was literally what happened. That's literal. Uh, and, that's, and that wasn't easy. Uh, there was also another situation that came from Jesus' teaching that, that kind of hits more close to home with me when it came to my, my, my daughter, our daughter. Well, she's been getting ready to have her first birthday party soon. Uh, we're going to do the, her first one at a pizza place. And we're kind of letting her kind of help out with who she wants to be able to come to that. And she's gotten her mind made up pretty good who she wants to come and who she doesn't want to come. And, and so her mom and, and her are kind of working through a list, and, and she has no problem with her, her church friends coming, but there are some kids at school that she doesn't like. And she doesn't like them because they've been mean to her. Uh, they've been ugly to her. And some cases maybe even bullying her a little bit. And so when her mother brings up this girl and this girl from the class roster, she makes it very clear, I don't want her coming. I don't like her. I don't want to be nice to her. Uh, and I couldn't help but think about the teaching of Jesus, even what we're studying right now. It is hard to want to do good to people who are mean to It's hard to want to invite people to things and show some grace to people uh, who are ugly to you and may bully you and who you feel just don't like you. Little children learn that pretty quick, don't they? They get that emotion pretty quick in their lives. They struggle with this at a very young age, but not only do small children struggle with this, you know who may struggle with this more? Adults. 
we may struggle with this more than little children. And I know that because that's who Jesus is talking to in Matthew 5. He's not talking to people like faith here, people who are, who are sinless and will go right to paradise right now if they were to die tonight. No, no Jesus is talking to people like us. He's talking to people like me and you. He is giving us in Matthew 5 what may be the most difficult commandment in the Bible. And that is the commandment to love all people and to do good to all people. Do good to your neighbors, the people who love you back, and do good to the people who don't love you back. That's tough. And so tonight we want to wrap up that study. We're going to wrap up that study in Matthew 5. But before we do that, I'm going to ask Andy. Andy, would you mind leading us in a prayer, please, sir? Sure. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time to give you thanks for the many blessings that you give us day by day. We thank you uh, at this time for uh, giving us the opportunity to be here congregated as, as a group of your children to, uh, to learn more about your word, to open up your, your scripture and to uh, dive deep into it. Father, we ask you to let us open our hearts and our minds so that we may capture every lesson um, that you have for us this evening. We ask you to let us leave this place edified and, and be with Brother Sean as he uh, uh, helps in guiding us through Scripture. We ask you all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. To kind of put a little bit of a disclosure or a disclaimer on the example we had of what happened this past Sunday between two celebrities, let me say that it was not the joke that was told about Will Smith's wife was not in good taste at all. I think we will agree with that. It's not good at all. But I hope we can also agree that even when people say ugly things to us that may offend us or offend the people we love, the right response is never what? It's never violence. It's never striking someone. Now, doesn't that also go with Jesus' teaching about retaliation and vengeance? Uh, and we teach our kids that from a young age. I mean, I would get mad at my son if he told me somebody made fun of him and told a joke towards him, uh, about him, and he hit him in the face. We teach our kids that early. I mean, Janicia would, if somebody did that in your class, what would you do, Janicia? You was, would you tell that kid to sit down? You walk them to the... Yes, we teach our kids that early. And that teaching, that principle is found in the teaching of Jesus. It's found in the teaching of Jesus. And so let's go back to Matthew 5, verse 45 again. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Wouldn't the world be a better place if everybody obeyed that teaching? Wouldn't you agree? The world would be such a better place. And so let's kind of go back through some things we talked a little bit about Sunday. You have heard that it was said. Said by who? You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor hate your enemy. Who said that? Pharisees said that. Now, let me ask that even better. First off, did God say any part of that? Yes. yes. Which part did God say? Yeah. 
Love your neighbors. It's found all through the law. I mean, we, we got that. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In fact, go over to Matthew chapter 22. Ryan, you got your reading glasses? No, but I'll read it. Oh, okay. I don't really we'll, call <laughs> we'll bear with you tonight. It's all right. I got you later. Uh, Matthew 22. Ryan, would you mind reading verses 34 down to verse number 40? Matthew 22. 34 down to verse 40. I don't believe this is in your notes in the book, so you might want to drop these verses down. Whatever you 34 through 40. 40. Yes, sir. Uh, okay. Um, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together them, themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, teacher. What is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these, the two, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Thanks, Ryan. So I want you to notice verse number 35 where it talks about a lawyer. Now, a lawyer at this time was not like you think of lawyers today, okay? Um, you know, they didn't stand before judges and, you know, prosecute or make defenses. A lawyer at this time in Jewish culture was someone who was an expert in the law, Moses, someone who studied the law and knew the law very well. And a lawyer asked this question in an effort to what to Jesus according to what the text says? To test him. Now, how would this question test Jesus? What well, would test him? Because this was one of those questions in this time that was very controversial among the Jews. Often the rabbis would spend their days asking one another what they felt were difficult questions and debating and even arguing about those things. And this was one of those questions. You know, what's the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? This was something that the Pharisees... And the scribes and the lawyers talked about all day, and there were all kinds of different opinions that these men had about that question. And so they figure, or this guy figures, that however Jesus answered this, he's going to isolate himself from somebody. He's going to alienate him, himself from someone in the crowd. But Jesus, being the master teacher, he answers it perfectly. He describes the law of God in a nutshell. The Old Testament law, but not just the Old Testament law. This is the New Testament law in a nutshell also, which is love God and love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is what God taught. That's what the law taught. That's what it taught in the Old Testament. That's what it teaches in the New Testament. But the rabbis invented this second part to this, which is your neighbor only are those people who love you back, who treat you good, you love those people, but you don't have to love people you don't want to love. The Samaritans, the Romans, the Gentiles, other Jews who don't agree with you. The rabbis were the one who invented the second part of the statement found back in Matthew chapter 5. And so what Jesus is explaining in the Sermon on the Mount, and what he explains here in Matthew 22, is this idea that it's okay to hate people who hate you back or who hate you first. That is not God's will, and it's never been God's will, and it never will be God's will. And he plainly says that. Go back to Matthew 5 with me, please, and verse number 44, when he says, I say to you, that is, I am clarifying what the will of God is here. 
You love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. You do good to all people, whether they like you or not. Now, this is emphasized throughout the teaching of Jesus. We saw an example of that in Matthew 22, but it's also emphasized in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Is that right? Good Samaritan. Notice the illustrations in that parable. A, a Jewish man is beaten, left to die, but who doesn't help him? Two of his fellow brothers, two Jewish men. They're supposed to be his neighbor, according to what the rabbis were teaching. But who's the good guy in the story? Well, the guy who the rabbis hated, the Samaritan. He was the one who stopped and helped that Jewish man. And Jesus says, be like him. Be like the Samaritan. The Samaritan is the prime example of someone who is doing what Jesus says here in Matthew 5. Loving all people. Loving your neighbor and loving someone that may consider you an enemy. Or you may consider to be an enemy. And so Jesus emphasized that in the parable of the sower. But going back to Matthew 5, he also emphasizes it by describing God. In verse number 45, he says that God shows his love and his grace to everybody every day. To those who love him and to those who don't love him. According to Jesus, whether you are here tonight with me, in this room, studying your Bible, praying, thinking about God, you love God, you live for God, whether you are that kind of person or if you're at the club right now and you drinking and you smoking dope and you partying and you having sex with someone who's not your spouse, no matter whether you're here or out there in the world doing something sinful, guess what? You are being blessed in this moment by God. You know how you're being blessed by God in this moment? Whether you love him or not, you're breathing his, his air. <laughs> you are experiencing oxygen that was created by God. You're experiencing his sun, his moon, his stars, his rain. You're eating his food. Whether you love God or if you're an enemy of God, God is showing you love and grace right now at 713 on this night. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying there. And so by just sustaining the world, God is showing love to all people. And, and, I, and I like this because what Jesus is doing is he's saying that God isn't requiring us to do anything that he hasn't done first. Jesus is not requiring us to do, to do anything that he hasn't done first. And so go back to the text again, verses 46 through 47, and then I'm going to get your thoughts on some things, okay? Just hang with me a couple of more minutes. Verses 46 and 47. We see from Jesus, after Jesus describes how God does exactly what he requires of us, what this kind of lifestyle really does when you love all people is it, is it puts you on a higher standard, a higher standard of living. And isn't that what being a Christian is all about? Living a high standard, a higher standard than the world. It leads you to having a kind of love that the world doesn't have. The world doesn't have this kind of love we're talking about. That's exactly what Jesus means when he brings up the tax collectors. The tax collectors represent the people in the world, the people who don't know God. That's exactly what he means when he brings up the Gentiles in verse 47. The Gentiles don't know God. They don't know God like disciples. But not only do the tax collectors not know God, and not only do the Gentiles not know God, you know who else didn't know God really? The Pharisees didn't. They also didn't know God. 
They didn't know God. It goes back to verse 20. Your righteousness must exceed their righteousness. You see, the standard that the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching was leading people to being no different than the tax collectors. It was leading people to being no different than the Gentiles. It was leading people to being no different, ironically, than the very people that they hated. That's the sad tragedy in all of this. And so people who don't love all people don't know God. They don't know God. It doesn't matter how religious they might be. And so let's go back to verse 48. This is where we are. Therefore, here's the conclusion here. Here's the conclusion of everything we've said. You ought to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now I want to get some thoughts from you. I've asked you to think about this for a few days. I want to know. I want to know how is the word perfect being used here. Is the word perfect here being used to talk about sinless perfection? Or is it being used to talk about something else? If so, what? How is the word perfect being used here? Anyone got any thoughts? You had three days and no hands going up? Release nose. Huh? Release nose. Oh, release nose? Okay. put you on the spot. <laughs> Who, who's got to answer this? How's the word perfect being used? Go ahead, Don. Yes, sir. The, the whole concept is the things that, that God has taught, be it in the law or, you know, even that back with Adam and Eve. Don't eat that fruit. There is an idea of, of completeness or perfection in obeying those commands. And by the principles that God has given us, when we reach a point where we satisfy those, those principles, those statutes, those ordinances, whatever you want to call them, as they filter through, when we reach a point where those are natural to us and part of us, then we have reached completeness or, as this word is, perf perfection. I like that. I like the idea of how you explain perfection here with the word completeness. I like that. Let's keep that thought in the forefront of our minds for the next couple. That's of a minutes. literal translation. Yes, and that's that's exactly right. And that's <laughs> and that is a that is exactly what the idea. Anyone else have anything? Yes, sir, Andy. Knowing that this this whole sermon is about the heart, I think of, of David and how he had a heart um, that was. God's heart, right? And uh, even though he made lots of mistakes, right? But even even along with all those mistakes, he repented yes. and he kept perfecting himself, yes. which I think is also what Paul alludes to, how he hasn't reached that point, right? Um, but he strives for perfection. Let's go to mm -hmm. this. In my notes here, Andy, very good. Go to Matthew, uh, not Matthew, uh, Philippians, I'm sorry. Philippians chapter 3. Let's read some scripture here. I want to take you to how Paul used this word. Because I believe Paul is used it the same way Jesus does. In fact, the word is used in the same way most of the time throughout the New Testament. This word perfect. And so, Philippians 3. As you turn to Philippians 3, let me just say, if we think we're talking about sinless perfection here, we've already failed on that. You know, well, we haven't reached it, never will reach it. It's not going to happen. Jesus didn't die for perfect people. He died for people like me and people like you and, and people who are imperfect. So that, that boat's already sailed and it's not coming back. But we go to Philippians 3 verse 12 and Paul says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on 
so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, as many as are perfect, okay, not talking about sinless perfection here, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Now, just keep this idea of what Paul says here. Having become perfect, already reaching a period of perfection. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul talks about how in the church, and especially in the first century, in the context here, there were apostles, there were prophets. And then today you got evangelists, you got pastors, you got teachers. And why are they there? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. Okay, you're the saints. So people like me are in the church for the equipping of the saints. For the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a, my translation says, mature man. Does somebody else have a different translation? Use a different word? Yes, he says manhood. Yes. And some may use the word perfect. Perfect. Mature, manhood, perfect. Now we're getting somewhere here. It's Mat still telling us. Yes. Same idea, same though. It's the same idea, yes. Mm. To the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. <laughs> One more place. One more place. So you, I want you to write these scriptures down. Remember these scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3, a common passage. 2 Timothy 3, and I think it's the same idea here. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, we know these scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the man of God, my translation puts it, New American Standard, may be adequate. Some of your translations may have the word done, the word you said earlier, complete. And some may have another word, which is perfect. Perfect. So the man of God may be perfect, equal for every good work. The word perfect that Jesus is using and that is being used by Paul is the idea of maturity. A full level of maturity, not sinless perfection, not sinless perfection, maturity, completeness. In the context, Paul is talking about becoming a spiritually mature Christian. That's what he means in his writings. We're going to talk about what Jesus means in just a second. Go ahead, Brother Don. Yes, that, sir. That first, that first time there in, in Ephesians where that is, it's, it is attained perfection. That is, the word there means the end of all things. I, I haven't died and got my reward yet. Is that. Yes. But I am striving for that perfection which will lead me to yes. that completeness. Absolutely. And the only way you're going to get that as a Christian is you have to reach a level of maturity. Yes. The sad part is for so many Christians, they never reach a level of maturity. There are some people who have been Christians 30, 40, 50 years, and they may say, well, I'm a mature Christian because I've been a Christian for decades. Well, how do you act? How do you think? How much do you really know about the Bible? Do you Are you judging that mainly on how many decades you've been a Christian or how many church services you've attended? Or are you judging that by God's standard, which is are you maturing? 
Are you really a mature Christian? Or are you somebody who's been a Christian for decades, but really in the eyes of God, you're still a little bit baby? You're still a little baby. Paul rebuked the Corinthians for that, didn't he? Because they weren't growing. They weren't maturing. That's the idea. Now, in the context of Jesus, what Jesus is talking about in the context of Matthew 5, when he used the word perfect, he's talking about perfecting in your love. Having a complete level of love like God has. A, a full level of maturity when it comes to love means not just loving the people who love you back, but loving even your enemies. That's what Jesus is talking about in the context. He is saying that you want to have a perfect, complete, fully developed and mature love in your heart, then you need to love like God. You need to love like your Heavenly Father. You need to love all people, even your enemies. Jesus says that God has perfect love in his heart, and we got to have perfect love also. Perfect love goes beyond just loving my wife. That's easy love. I may have to grow in my love for her and do better, but I love her all the time. I never hate my wife. I love my wife all the time, even when we have disagreements. That's perfect. That's a perfected kind of love there where I may have to grow and do better. hope I love her more now than I did 20 years ago, but I never stopped loving her. My love as a Christian got to go beyond loving my, just loving my wife or loving my parents or loving my kids, or loving, if you have grandkids, or even loving you as my brethren. Perfect love also includes loving the people who gossip about me, and who call me names, and who slander me, and who are overly critical of me, and maybe even unfair to me. See, that's a different kind of, that's a higher level of love. Does that make sense? That's a higher level. The world loves their spouses. <laughs> The world loves their kids. The world loves their grandkids. You being a Christian, loving your grandkids, don't make you special. You just like the, the world loves their grandkids too. But what makes you different is you love like God. You love all people, even those who don't love you back. Brother Rick and then, and then Ryan after I that. I say it, it, it kind of boils down as who rules in your life. Yes. Is it the world that's ruling your life, or is it God ruling in your life. And if God is ruling in our life, then we should be living the, the way that God wants us to do by his rule. And this 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 is the hardest one, I think, to achieve. This, Rick, what you're saying is right on the money. This, all of this is about who are you going to, whose standard are you going to live by? You're going to live by the standard of the world and throw all this out. So the world's not doing any of this. But if you're going to live by the standard of Christ, you're going to be different. And you're going to have a higher level of living, and it's not going to be easy. This is hard stuff. But it's, doesn't that make sense when we look at the conclusion of the, of the sermon when we get there later when Jesus talks about building your house on a rock, based on his word, and you're going to have a solid foundation. But if you build it on the sand, which is the world, it's going to crumble. That's the same idea. Brother Ryan, yes, sir. So you and I talked Sunday after services yes. a little bit about how love is never, it's, it's always, it's hard. Yes. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, and how what love does has to bear all things, endure all things, hopes all things, and you can go on and on and on. Even though Sunday I said sometimes it's not easy to love my wife, right? Right. 
it's always a work in progress. And it's it's the reason I feel we've been married for 28 years because it's, it's working with her and her working with me. And that's it, even with my kids, I'll, I'll say it with her right here, it's not always easy right. to love her because some of the things that she does, it doesn't mean I don't love her, I just don't like what she did. Right. And sometimes that's hard to separate the two. It, it as, is. As a human. It can be hard. But even the love you demonstrate towards your wife and children is a, is a different kind of love than the world because the world, when they get mad with their spouse, they don't stay there. They leave. Yeah. And they go get married three or four more times. So even they, even by being a Christian, you're loving your wife in a different way right. than the world will love their spouse. That's why I brought first yes. Corinthians 13. And we're going to get to that. That's in my notes here. I want to get to that. John, uh, yes, sir, Tony. So I, mean, I the, saw your hand up. The same thing, you know, like let's say you have a, a friend, you know, like, and, you know, you've been friends for years. You make one remark that maybe even unintentionally rubbed him, her or him the wrong way. He might stop being your friend just because of that one remark. Yes, you know? that's how the world looks. That's mm -hmm. right, Tony. Yes, ma'am, you had a compliment. It's all a matter of you love the sinner and you hate the sin. And Sorry. that's even if you're married to him. Yeah, <laughs> hey, you're so right. And you know about that for a while. No, in your own life. About 60 years. Yes. <laughs> well, I thought he got converted at some point. You can go and talk to him a little bit. <laughs> Okay, we aired all out in here. Uh, Andy, you had a comment, and done, and I got to get moving. Yes, yeah, sir. Um, I think I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, I'm not perfect," almost as an excuse yes, to not keep growing. But the thing about maturity is, it's something attainable, and not only is it attainable, but it's something that we have to have in order to obtain a relationship with God or to reach heaven. Yes, right? and. Uh, I think that's what the Hebrew writer talks about in chapter 5, where he says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Yes. So yes. even love takes constant practice, right? And, and it's, <laughs> yes, it's great it's, passage. Yeah. And, and, and behold what you said, because you, you, I like your points. Even Paul said back in Philippians 3, I haven't obtained it yet. This is Paul. Yeah. Now, Paul hadn't obtained it yet. I know Sean Jerry was entertained yet. And I gotta have that mindset because I can't settle. I can't settle for where I am, where I am today as a Christian. I wanna be better next year. I hope I've grown when I turn 50 more than I am at 39. You gotta keep going. Paul says he's always trying to get better, and this is an inspired man saying this. Now if he had that mindset, how much more do I need to have? That's a great point. Don, then we gotta get moving here. Yes, sir. John and first John talks about God being love. God Amen. is love. First love John is God. And when you when you take that as your pivot point and start going backward in time, why did God create the universe? Out of love. Love for whom? The people he was going to make. What did he know about the people he was going to make? They were going to sin. What did he do? He made a plan to save them from their sins. Everything that God did from before <coughs> creation, when he started the plan, was out of love. And it's that foreknowledge and forethought we don't have foreknowledge, but we've got forethought. Right. What's our objective? To love our neighbor or hate our neighbor? Are we going to care for those around us? Are we going to show charity? You know, it, it's something that you've got to have a mindset on and develop that mindset so it becomes a habit. Yes. No, that's good. No, that's good. That brings us to our next part. In fact, you're talking about God's love and how God's love is at the core of everything he does towards man. 
let's talk about Jesus a little bit here. This is a question going um, into your notes here. Uh, this is question five in lesson 11. Jesus, did Jesus love his enemies? Did Jesus show any kind of love towards his enemies? If so, give me a good example of one. Forgive them, they know not what they do. That's Luke 23, 34. None of us here have ever experienced, at least I don't think so, I'm wrong, correct me, but someone, and listen carefully to what I'm saying here, no one here has experienced, at least from my belief, the kind of hostility that Jesus experienced with being a follower of God, being spit on, having a crown of thorns beaten in your head, having a bare cross, having to be stripped down naked and hung up in front of a lot of people while they took joy in seeing you suffer to your last breath. Jesus went through that, and yet he still wants what's best for the people who hate him. He is praying for them. He prayed for their salvation, that they would see the error of their ways and receive God's forgiveness. That's hard. And we don't just see that in Jesus, but we see that in a disciple of Jesus very early in the book of Acts, and that's Stephen. <laughs> Stephen is a type of Jesus, okay? Let me explain what I mean by that. He's a type of Jesus in that many of the things he went through, Jesus went through first. If you read Acts 7, and we're going to get to it later this year in our Bible reading, like Jesus, Stephen was falsely accused by the Jews. He's falsely accused. He stands before the Sanhedrin, like Jesus. He's driven out of the city, like Jesus. He's killed unjustly, like Jesus. And while dying, he, in verse 60 of Acts 7, prayed for his enemies. He's a type of Jesus. Uh, he, he, a lot of things you see in Stephen happen with Jesus first. That's, and he's the first martyr uh, in, in the book of Acts. And so that's a good one. Here's a second thing that Jesus did towards his enemies. He told them the truth. Even if the truth hurt. Matthew 23. When Jesus called them hypocrites seven or eight times, he's not doing it because he hates them. He's doing it because he wants them to understand the truth about themselves and their corruptness so they can be led to repentance. And it reminds me of something Allison said on Sunday, and it was a point that was just brought up just now, uh, that you love the sinner, but you hate the sin. You love the sinner, you hate the sin. That's how Jesus operated. That's how he operated. He hated sin, but he loved every sinner. And I, and I think that that's hard for us at times to separate the two. And then the greatest example of Jesus doing good to his enemies is what? Dying for him. <laughs> Look at Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5. Uh, and you look at verse number, Romans chapter 5, <clears throat> verse number 6. Romans 5 and verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved from, be saved by his life. Notice verse 10 says we were enemies. We, who's the we? Me and you, people who have sinned against God. There was a time when we were on, we were destined to be on God's, on the receiving end of God's wrath. 
We were enemies of God. But even though we were enemies of God, God showed love toward us by sending his son. And Jesus showed love for us by dying for us so that we can be saved. And so if we think this is so hard or impossible, let me say that because it is hard. But if we think it's impossible to do this, we need to understand that God already did it first. Jesus already did it first. So I think that's something good for us to show on. Yes, sir, Brother Rick. If it had been impossible, we probably wouldn't be here this evening. That's exactly right. What would be the point if God didn't show love for his enemies? What would be the point of being here tonight? We'd be lost. It's only because God loved his enemies that were here. And we, are, we were those enemies. So that game brings to the next question real quick. Blessings that come to you when you choose. Let me emphasize the word choose because love is a choice. Love's a choice. you got to choose to love. And it can be a hard choice at times, but it is a choice. And what blessings come to you when you choose to love God? Well, here's a few things to think about. One, you store up treasure in heaven. And that's something we're going to get to in Matthew 6. When you, you want to talk about storing up treasure in heaven? Love your enemies. That's putting some treasure in heaven. And, according to Jesus, you experience a quality of God. You become more like your father. And shouldn't every child desire to look like their father, especially the heavenly father? And so, Ryan, let's talk just a little bit real quick in a couple of minutes about 1 Corinthians 13. I hope you've read that ahead of time. That goes to question 7. Paul talks about love. He does all these qualities of love. Now, here's a question to think about. Why does Paul even have to... Bring this up to the Corinthians. You ever thought about that? Why does Paul tell this church that's got all these issues about love and, and tell them love is this and love is that? Why does he even have to do that? Shouldn't they know this? Well, the reason Paul's having to tell them about this is because they're not doing it. They're not doing it. They have all these problems. They divide, they're divided. They're tolerating a brother in sin. They're suing each other. They're not considering each other when it comes to eating meat, sacrifice to idols. They have all these issues. And you know what's the foundation of all their problems? Love. They don't love each other. <laughs> They're not showing any kind of love. See, that's the, that's the core of the problems in that church. And guess, guess what? It's also the core at the, at the problems of a lot of churches today. Not love each other. So let me ask y'all this real quick. Just real quick. As you thought about that section there, of the qualities Paul mentions there, which one... Which ones would you say are like very difficult to do? You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, which ones would y'all say are, in verses 4 through 7, are like, are, man, that's hard. That's hard to have a love that does that. Premiering all things. Why would y'all say that? <laughs> you said it first. <laughs> I, mean, well, I mean, what was your I mean, I just, I'm just curious. It's an umbrella statement, like, bears all things, like. It's everything that you were listing earlier about whatever you do, person being persecuted, being mocked, mocked gossip, uh, yeah, everything being joked about in an ugly way, and just taking that and turning somebody irritating you. You don't like their personality. Look, I'm gonna tell y'all something. Let's just be real about this, just real quick. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, the truth, the truth of the matter is, I probably would, wouldn't be hanging out with 98 percent of the people in the church. Because I don't have nothing in common with them outside of Jesus. Their personalities are not my personality. Some of them don't like the same kind of things I like. I, we don't agree on political stuff. If it weren't for Jesus, 
I probably wouldn't see many of you in my life. Because we don't see things in life the same way. But because of Jesus, guess what happens? We bear all things and we come together. And we get past the different personalities. And the fact we don't like the same kind of stuff. And we may have different political beliefs and different backgrounds. The love of Jesus can accomplish great things and bring some really interesting people together who may not be together otherwise. So let's pause right there on Sunday, Lord willing. I got a couple applications I want to get you from this section here. And we're going to jump into the next part. Uh, I really appreciate uh, all you've been saying. Rick told me that this was.